The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review our first match against St. Louis City. We will also be talking to Jamie Watson from the Apple TV MLS Season Pass and to preview the upcoming Montreal match. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of what we saw new from Austin and what we can expect to see this coming weekend. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremiah Bentley. Landon, we both had memorable bathroom experiences on <laughs> yes. Saturday night, strangely, which we just find out, found out when we were talking to each other before recording. Yeah, so I after the game the other night, I walked into the bathroom. There was a long line as there often is in the men's rooms at Q2 Stadium. I get to like the front of the long hallway there, and at the back from the back of the line, I hear, Hey, Moon Tower Radio! And I turn and look, and a guy makes eye contact with me and points and says, Moon Tower Radio! And I just like smile and give him a thumbs up, and then it's my turn to go, and I step up to the urinal, and then he finds an open spot next to me and tells me like he really enjoyed the Jossie Zardes interview. And uh, it made me realize a thing that I had not thought of before, is that now that we're putting videos on YouTube, people are going to know what we look like. And it's not <laughs> oh, a yeah. thing I prepared myself for. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I know. It was just the two guys with the beards before. Um, yeah, and then I uh, had, at halftime, I went to the men's room, and it was 1-1, and people were feeling down, right? Like, I think overall expectations were not met on that night. And, like, the guy whose job it was emptying the trash cans was, like, throwing an imp- impromptu pep rally in the men's room and, like, <laughs> telling people to cheer up, and, like, it wasn't over yet. We still had a half to go, and we are still going to pull it out. And, like, started the Listo Verde chant. Um, which did not get met with a lot of success from guys <laughs> using the men's room. But shout out to that guy for being positive and going above and beyond and doing his job. Yeah, I like it. I like the attitude. It's good. Um, let's. I guess we've got a busy show. There was a lot to talk about with that game. There's a lot of news this week. Um, and uh, the Jamie Watson interview was pretty cool and ran a little bit longer than we probably expected it to. So let's get into the news. Yeah, let's do it. So let's start off with the Diego Fagundes deal. So... The week before, we got the Sebastian Juicy contract extension. This following week, we get a Diego Fagundes contract extension. This is, again, going to be guaranteed through 2025 with a club option in 2026, just like Juicy's is. Um, this is a big deal. Like we, uh, I said just as recently as a couple of weeks ago that... Just as recently think... as last week. Just as recently was as the show. Was it last week? That, okay. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah, basically about four hours before the deal got announced. <laughs> we released a show. So you can repeat that opinion if you want to. But Yeah, I mean, I was saying I didn't think it was going to happen. Just because, uh, I, like I said, it, with as much time as on his his contract, like I didn't think that Austin FC had any, would have any urgency for it. I'm glad that they did. In hindsight, like this is a thing I'm super happy to be wrong about. Um, the fact that they have locked in Sebastian Driussi, Diego Fagundes, and Brad Stuver all through the 2026 season, those are the three, I think, inarguably, the three best players on the team for over the last season. Um, to have those guys locked in for that that amount of time in their primes, that's that's what creates long-term success in MLS. If you look at the teams that have done really, really well over the last 10 or 15 years, they've had that core 
that have been consistent and been able to build around and make and, and plan their team around those guys. Austin has that now. They have those three guys that have been the best players. And I think like just just having that consistency, consistency, having that quality, having that experience year after year is going to be really big for this team. Yeah, that you just can't say enough about having that core. And it, it puts you in the place where you don't a club's not having to rebuild itself every year, you know, go out and acquire eight or nine new players and take a shot at different DPs and things like that. Cause that hopefully that core and it's that spine of the, of the club is, is solid and will be there for a long term. Um, other Drew news is he was announced as the captain uh, this week, right? It was earlier a Josh Wolf conference press conference earlier in the week. We got that news and he was there too. Um, That's right. Do you have any yeah. highlights out of that? No, I mean, just that I was surprised by it. <laughs> we had seen that Alex ring had not been starting in preseason matches. And then we get this news that Sebastian Drusi is, is now the captain. I think in another context, if you say like, okay, your star DP MVP candidate, like this guy's going to become your captain. I don't think you would bat an eye at that really just, but at the fact that who was the captain before and that not only is he not the captain, but he's not a starter even anymore. I think that part of it was the most shocking part of it to me. And I think we'll get into the Alex Ring stuff later on, but they it seemed like they were intentional about not making it about that. And like it was more of rewarding Driussi and not taking it away from Alex. Although I think maybe both of those things are true. Um, but it's it's kind of a complicated situation. I think Driussi seems like the kind of guy that he'll go out of his way to not let it be a problem in the locker room. But you could see how that easily could become a problem in the locker room. Do you think he's a little bit of surprising of a profile just as a, a person to be the captain? I mean, he's not vocal, right? I mean, he's pretty quiet. Um, do you think he will be more now that he's a captain? Like, do you, do you read anything into that? No, I mean, I, I, I've seen people expressing that concern. I don't know that I, I mean, I think it just depends, right? Like coaches and teams ask different things of their captains. They still have some guys who will be vocal. I think that is, that is a concern for the team overall. I don't know that that changes whether or not Drew C is your captain or not. Um, you need to have those vocal leaders. You need to have the guys who are going to drive people, motivate people, encourage people, maybe give them a, a kick in the butt when they need it too. Whether or not Drewsy's wearing the armband or not, I don't know that any of that changes. I do think it is a concern for this team because it seemed like Gabrielson was that guy. It seemed like um, Alex Felipe Ring was, was obviously that, that guy. guy. Ring was yeah. that guy. Aruti has a reduced role now, and he was kind of that guy. Right. And so it. I think that is a concern now. But Drewsy is a, a clearly very well-respected in this locker room, very well-respected with how he motivates and works on the field. And so I, yeah, I don't, I don't see that as a huge problem. Also, like we're not in that locker room. We're not part of that team dynamic. I'm not going to tell that team and, and coach Wolf what the best thing to do is with the captain's armband. Cause I don't know. We don't know what the dynamic is between all those guys, but I think Drew C is the, the guy, like the type of character that isn't just, they're not just giving it to him because he's the best player. I think, that helps that it's part of why they're giving it to him because he's the best player, but also he does seem to be the kind of character that 
is a good leader, whether it's vocal or not. He is a good leader. He is uh, a good team builder within the locker room. We've heard stories of other players saying, telling about how he goes out of his way to make sure everybody feels a part of the group. He doesn't just hang out with the Argentinian guys. He he goes out of his way and like be, has randomly become friends with John Gallagher and like made sure that like he's part of their crew too. And so like I yeah I'm I'm not super concerned about that part. We the other I guess firm news that we got on about the club was uh, Johan Valencia got his green card on February 24th, um, which means he no longer occupies an international slot. And we so that does that leave Austin with one? Well, I guess it would have left Austin with two slots, I think. Except for we had one of these very MLSy trades, where Austin traded a international slot to Charlotte for seventy five thousand twenty twenty three gam and one hundred thousand twenty twenty four gam. Right. So they 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 opened up the slot and then instantly sold it to, to Charlotte essentially for extra allocation money. Uh, I think looking back, we've already traded one spot, and we have. I can't remember. I did the math earlier. I think we have one spot left now, and so that means if there's a move to to come. Uh, in like in this first transfer window or in the summer, there is still the flexibility to have have it be an international player if we do bring someone else in. All right. Uh, oh, and we have news that I heard from Anthony Precourt hanging out in the birthday store <laughs> and talking to two guys, uh, who, one, of, one of whom is in Los Verdes, at least, because he posted the same story in Slack, which is, I think is why well, it makes me okay to share this. Um, don't expect a third jersey next year, despite how many... Um, shirts Austin has sold are we surprised by that I'm I don't know I'm disappointed by it if if not surprised did did you hear the reasoning as to why they shouldn't be expecting a third kit well I was really busy shopping for a cap so I didn't get a lot of that <laughs> and I think the guys asked pre-court for his employee discount and apparently he doesn't get 100% off but he got to use theirs which I thought was a fun part of the story too but no he just kind of said with everything else going on like uh just don't don't count on a third kit don't count on it is what he said so maybe he's Maybe there's one coming and he's just tricking people, but he's sandbagging us. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe he's just trying to build demand up, but I would not plan on it. Uh, Some other news. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but the new playoff format was announced. Um, A, do you like it? No, I hate it. Uh, Okay. Uh, (laughs) I think you should listen to, uh, I think, last week's athletic soccer show. Paul and Sam did a pretty good job of talking about it. There's, I think there were two different ones. I think Pablo Maurer maybe did something on it too. So I I would check that out, but no, I'm not a fan. How about you? Yeah, also not a fan. Um, I also don't think there's been a lot of hyperbole around like this. This is going to ruin it. I don't think it's that either. I think once we get into it, it'll be fine. I I think one thing I do like about it is that it is. It is more fair than the way we were doing it before. I think this best of three thing, I think you're more likely. I don't think we covered exactly what the format is. Let's do that. Yeah, there's going to be a play-in round, essentially like a wild card round between the eighth place team and the ninth place team. The first real round of the playoffs is going to be a best of three series, which the higher seed will have home home field advantage. And so before it was all single elimination all the way through, I think this best of three in the first round, it, it probably is not going to make it more exciting. Almost assuredly is not going to make it more exciting, but it does make it more fair. I think in in that format, you're more likely to have the better team going through every time. So if, if I think that's one positive you can take away from it. I think it does make for with any like, there's going to be some gamesmanship going on, some 
some poop housery going on in, in the away legs for teams and stuff like that. That's going to probably make for some really boring soccer games at times. Yeah. I don't like that part of it. I don't love that part of it. And then it switches to single elimination after that. So once you get down to four teams in each, co- each conference tournament runs the same way as it has the past three or four years. And I guess one thing I don't love a take that I heard a lot of from people who are, have been around the league a long time. Is it like, well, it's just MLS and they're still experimenting in the form and you know, the format changes all the time. And, you know, these people are like recent and new to the sport, like just need to learn to deal with that. But at some point for this sport to grow and this league to grow, you have to stop tinkering with the playoff schedule and things like this, like every year, every two years. Don't you think? Yeah. I, especially after last year where every playoff game was really good and really fun and really entertaining. And now we're going to almost definitely not have that this time. The reason, like the reasoning for this is almost certainly to have more, playoff games to put on TV to earn more money from. And that sucks. Like (laughs) I wish they would just like, again, with MLS and a lot of, a lot of different parts of their business model. I wish they would just do the thing that makes for the best soccer on the field and not, not worry about the other stuff so much, but this is almost certainly why this is happening is so they can make more money off of it. Um, Again, I don't think it's the end of it, but I I think as far as like entertainment value, the the single game elimination can't be beat. I I agree for sure. And the la- I think the hardest part about that was last season tournament was so good, right? Almost every game was like top was top notch competition, and there was drama and, and you know all that. So I think to go to go from that particular playoff bracket to to this format really takes away from things. Yeah, it's also adding extra games to the schedule in a season where there are already too many games. And so that's going to be something to look look out for as well when you get to the end of that season. Are guys going to have the legs to go three games if they need to? Like, it's going to be a real problem. Or you go to NBA style and you're, you're like doing like load management during the season. And so guys are taking 10 games off during the year to save themselves for, right. for the final, which makes for less interesting soccer all the way around too. Right. And they can do that because nine teams are going to make the playoffs. Exactly. Uh, did you get to check catch out any of the Verde Light show, the the pre the pregame thing that Healy and Lahoud did on TV? I did not. I think that, I think it's going to be a problem regularly. I think just because of with the broadcast. So this is yeah five yeah. So it'll be a, at, at five p.m. Which at what time we were both already at Hop Squad. Um, there, Adrian and Mike are doing a Verde Light show that'll air weekly on the CW on CW Austin, um, recording at the KXAN studio, which is. NBC affiliate studio. One of the things I did notice is like that stage set at Q2 was gone, um, which I guess it has no purpose anymore. But no, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get to watch it. How about you? Yeah, I know. Same. Like I probably won't ever get to see it. Um, I'm sure they did a great job. They always do a great job. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll never see it. But the set looked cool. Yeah, the set did look cool. I love the visuals. So <laughs> good, good for them on that. Um, and then we got to see a little Micah Burton. One Micah Burton highlight from the semifinals in the US 17, US 17, U17 match. And that was a hell of a kick. Yeah, uh, scored a banger of a free kick in that semifinal. Was it, who did they play? Was it Canada? They played Canada in the semifinal before losing to Mexico in the final. That's right. So Michael Burton went 80 minutes. I think I, I think I watched most of it. Michael Burton throughout this whole tournament has been really, really good. He ended up not starting in the final. Um, but I think that was more to do with the fact he played 80 minutes 
on the, the semifinals on Friday, the final was on Sunday. And so there's a, a lot of rotating going on. He ended up coming on in the 65th minute. I did not get a chance to watch the final as it happened on Sunday, but Kevin Morris friend of the show did watch it and said that Burton looked super good, uh, looked really active and yeah, looked like one of the better players on the field. And I think that was true throughout this tournament. When he was on the field, he was one of the better players on the field on a team that was full of really, really talented players. So I think the future is bright for Michael Burton. I still stand by that. I think he will get a homegrown contract um, sometime this year. I don't know that he's necessarily ready to play for the first team right at this moment, but I think he could be by the end of the season. Yeah, he definitely has the profile to do it. Well, let's, okay. I think we've avoided talking about St. Louis enough. <laughs> St. Louis City. So you want to get into, into this match? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll just kind of run through the major events of the game. So Austin uh, give up an early goal in the 24th minute to a Tim Parker header. Just before half, Sebastian Driussi ties it up with a phenomenal goal. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure to talk about that one a little bit later on, but they go into the half tied 1-1. Um, John Gallagher comes on in the 68th minute, ends up scoring the second goal in the 72nd minute. And then in the 78th minute, things start to fall apart and Kip Keller assists a Jared Stroud goal. I was going to say, uh, I have an issue with the box score saying Jared <laughs> Stroud unassisted, but we'll definitely get into this. But yes, 78th minute to tie it at two. And then um, Joao Klaus scores the game winner in the 86th minute on a breakaway goal. Uh, really nice finish on that one. Uh, Sebastian Giussi, is this close to scoring a game-winning header off of an Alex Ring cross there at the very, very end, but it goes off the off the crossbar and it ends 3-2. So let's talk about, I guess, the the lineup changes. It in, the starting lineup in ended up being the same as what it was in the last couple of um preseason friendlies. And so it was true that Alex Ring was not going to be a starter. It was true that John Kolmanich was going to be a starter. And it was true that Owen Wolf was going to be a starter, which all of these things are things, if you'd asked us a month ago, uh, we would have said that was crazy. Yeah, and, it seemed, seemed, would have seemed unbelievable for sure. Yeah, and before the game, I was trying to guess who the game day 20 was going to be because this is this is the deepest Austin FC roster that we've ever seen as far as like talent from top to bottom and i knew there was going to be some tough decisions i put it i put together a list of 17 or 18 that i thought were locks i think i got like three three to five of them wrong that ended up not being on the roster and it looks like the the split ended up being like newer guys who have not been in this in wolf system very long didn't make the roster and the guys who have been around longer did make the roster does does that sound fair that does sound fair uh, obviously the specific ones that we think about a lot because of the way the game turned out was Emro Tarek not being in the game day. And I know he was one of your guys. I guess the only person that didn't apply to is Will Bruin made the game day roster um, despite being new to Austin. But obviously, he's been around the league for a million years. So it's, I would imagine he could get to speed pretty quickly. And his role was always going to be pretty limited given the fact that Giassi and Ruti were ahead of him. Yeah, and I think a lot of his uh, his role is going to kind of be in the tactics-free zone at the end of games anyway. And so it may not matter if he understands the system all that much. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, we're chasing a game. We're going to put two strikers on and just aim it at Will and Jossie's heads. 
Uh, but I was I was surprised to not see um, Tarek and Adam Lindquist, either of those guys on oh, that's there. That's right. Um, so, yeah, looking at the starting lineup, like we said, it was Stuver and goal. Then from left to right, Kolmanich, Fison, and Cascante, Lima, Danny Pereira, and Owen Wolf in the holding mid positions. Fagundes on the left, Drusi at the ten, Ragoni on the right wing, and Jossi Zard is up top. I just I noticed I'm <laughs> I just announced it how they have it listed on the MLS website, which y'all have heard me complain about how they don't ever get the actual lineup right. I just did it in the wrong order there, so. Austin's shape was quite different this year from what we were used to seeing any time last year. So they're still defending in a 4-4-2. Uh, the, what they were trying to do in that shape looked very similar to last year, so nothing new there. But the attacking shape shifts more to like a 3-2-2-3. And so to help visualize this, last year it was generally Diego Fagundes on the left and Ethan Finley or later on Rigoni on the right, those wings would stay high and wide and they would be providing the width. In this shape, Jean Kolmanich was coming all the way up from left fullback and was being that left wing, Rigoni on the right. And so your front three in this 3 2 2 3 shape, your front three was Jean Kolmanich, Jossi Zardes, Emiliano Rigoni. And then the back three, Nick Lima would shift over into a back three with the two center backs. And so it would be Nick Lima on the right. Cascante to start with in the center, Vison and on the left in a back three. And then in front of that back three, you had Danny Pereira and Owen Wolf in a, a true double pivot. It was not what Matt Doyle always says is, is a double pivot that Austin plays when they never played it. This was a true double pivot. Both of those guys really deep. Still generally looking for Danny to kind of be that quarterback guy that's that's kind of running the play through him. But Owen definitely deeper and playing next to him. In front of them, you had Sebastian Driussi playing in kind of that free 10 role where you would normally have, would have had him and Alex Ring kind of playing that same position. It was Driussi and Diego Fagundes playing in those 10 positions. And so that's like the 3 2 2 3 shape that we saw. Um, I like this idea and I'm trying to decide like, do I like it because it's like new and interesting? Or do I or do actually like, think do you like it's it might good. be good? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I don't know. The, I don't know the answer. I don't, I, I do. I, I do know for a fact, I like it because it's new and interesting. Um, but like, is it good? Did it actually fix any problems? I think those are still TBD. Uh, I think things that it does do is it leans into the strengths of certain players um, and kind of provides some opportunities for some more, dynamic positional rotation that makes the system a little less predictable for defenses. Uh, I really like that it. you have another midfielder deeper next to Danny. I think that gives him some support both offensively and defensively, so, uh, someone to play off of in the buildup, and then some more cover as, we, as we're as we attacking and give up the ball, some more players there in the, mid, in, in the middle of the field to stop transition. Um, as far as the, like the rotational possibilities that exist in this so the wingers so like i'm gonna in the attacking shape i'm gonna refer to kolmanich as a winger on the left wing so the wingers and the tins would both kind of interchange both vertically and horizontally and so 
sometimes they would drop in and the wingers would go high and vice versa, or they would move out to the touchline and the, and the wingers would move inside. And so I like that option as far as like moving to get open for, to break lines or to kind of pull defenses out of, um, out of their kind of like default positions. But I think one thing that this is probably less of the shape itself and more of how our players are playing in it. <laughs> There's a lot of times where like in, in possession soccer, especially you always want to be creating these triangles. You want to have uh, two options to play through and you can either play it directly to one or you can play through one to the other. You can have a third man running off of one. You always want to have those triangles made. And as we were pushing forward, you would notice that sometimes the play would outrun Owen Wolf and Danny Pereira. And you'd end up with a line of five all driving that back line and nobody inside to play off of. And so we'd kind of get stuck with no, nobody really to play off of. I don't think that's necessarily a shape. I think it's how they're playing within that shape. And so I think that can be fixed there. I think in this shape, we need to be able to get Drewsy and Diego on the ball more. I like that you have Diego inside, able to affect play, able to still be close to Drewsy and allow them both to play a bit more free. That didn't really happen in this game. And so that's one thing that does concern me here. Yeah, I was looking looking through like some heat maps and stuff, and Jerusi's like possession positions were not like they were last year, right? Like it's didn't get the ball a ton, didn't get the, didn't get the ball a ton in dangerous positions. Um, so okay, so that's the offensive shape, but I think the big story for everybody on the night was Julio Cascante going down seven minutes in and being replaced by Kip Keller, and that's probably something we should spend. It, an amount of time on, we should probably take a break before we do that. Cause that may be, that, that could fill as much time as we possibly have left to record in discussing what went on there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more moon tower soccer and uh, the rest of the analysis of the St. Louis game. When the is around. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are back. Before the break, we alluded to the fact that we're going to talk about Kip Keller's real bad day he had at the office. Um, he was involved in all three of the goals that St. Louis scored. How many of those would you say were his fault, Jeremiah? I the first one seemed kind of like a bang bang play. I mean, he got he got beat by Tim Parker. I think there's no he, doubt about that. He got beat and he like lost his mark a little bit. I I think Stuver could have come off his line a bit more aggressively there, and maybe it wouldn't have been an issue. But it's, I, I agree. That was the one. That's the one I'm least least attributing to Kip Keller. I don't think there's any doubt on the second one, the uh, when he hit a wide open Jared Stroud, who may or may, may not have been calling for the ball, which I love is like the the best Austin FC conspiracy theory of the week. Do, what do you think on that one? I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. If you watch the playback back, there's so in the game they show a few angles from it, and you can kind of see. But then there's another angle from behind the goal. And you can see him doing it. It's like kind of like folks who don't play soccer. There's 
generally you'll, you'll kind of like point your hand out to where you want the ball. And so if you're like making a run, you might stick your hand out saying like, Hey, I want it out in front of me here. And then if you're standing still and you want the ball to feet, you'll put one hand down or sometimes two hands down and point them down at your feet and then like call out. You can see Jared Stroud saying something, looking directly at Kip Keller with both of his arms facing down his palms up and he's calling for the ball. Like he absolutely is calling for the ball. Uh, I don't know that he would tell you that. And I think he kind of dodged that question. He he did dodge the question when he was asked about it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other, the other thing behind that is like Kip Keller played the ball. that was perfectly weighted to Jared Stroud's foot and not a ball back to uh, Brad Stuber, right? The ball wasn't going hard enough to make it back to Stuber. No, in, in the game, I thought that was the case. I thought maybe he was trying to play it to Stuber and like didn't get enough on it or didn't notice Stroud there, but watching it back, he he looks up, looks back, looks up again, plays the ball, and then starts like dropping back into position to be ready to receive another pass. And so it wasn't like he noticed it and then just started like chasing Stroud down because he knew he didn't get enough on it. He thought he was playing it to a teammate. And like it's one thing had he just looked up and been confused. But the fact that it's a guy that he knows that he was on the same team with last year calling for the ball. Like I understand how he, he, how it would happen. It's still a terrible mistake. It's a huge mistake, but um, it sucks. Like I, I heard on extra time and then people online discussing whether or not that's illegal or not. I think by the letter of the law, it is illegal. Um, I don't know how you could ever enforce that unless the referee was standing close enough to hear it, especially in a stadium like Q2 where you can't hear anything. You can't hear anything, right? That's like not right there close to you. And so I don't know how you could ever enforce it. I think it's technically illegal, but um, it's uh, they're saying on extra time, like if those two guys are friends, like they say they are like, that's going to be something like maybe they need to work out on a personal level. And like, (laughs) right. Like if Stroud, if Stroud had stayed on the field long enough that Keller maybe should have done some hill justice and t- took him out on a, on a 50, 50 or something. But um, okay, yeah. So and on, yeah. No, that the one's third goal. Yeah. Let's talk about the third goal. 100% yeah. on Jared, on, uh, on Kip Keller with a little bit of help from Jared Stroud. The third goal. This one is a um, St. Louis breaks in transition after a giveaway from Austin. Klaus gets played in behind their big striker. And we have we have some numbers back. Um, it gets played like behind Vicenin, and Keller kind of has momentum and an angle, so he takes takes the angle to cut off Klaus. Vicenin kind Vicenin of Vicenin drops off, right? Or away. he drops off back to kind of like cover the passing angle on the other side. Um, I think Keller should have just like corralled him towards the inline, especially with help on the backside. And he kind of overruns the play and allows Klaus to to chop him and cut back. And then the the finish is really, really nice. He hits it with the outside of his boot. Like I think kind of catches catches Stuver off guard, not expecting him to hit it so soon. And so the finish was good. I've I've seen some people saying that they think Vicenin should have gone helped double team him. I think you could see it either way. There there was help coming on the other side if he's expecting Keller to be able to just kind of corral that guy towards the inline, if he gets a shot off, it's going to be from a really tight angle with Stuver on the post there. Um, I think you could argue for that. Like, I don't know what protocol is in this team for in, in that scenario. They may have 
like maybe Weissman was supposed to be over there with him. I don't know. But in any case, he was there by himself and Keller knew he was there by himself and he overran it and got a little too excited. And Klaus saw the momentum, chopped him, puts the finish into the far post. Yeah. And the other thing I've seen about it was this theory that Weissman maybe was trying to like play an offside trap too, which is why he didn't pursue that aggressively. Well, I think on the first, the first ball, on the first, Weissman okay, right. yeah. steps and Keller doesn't get it. It's, it's a little harsh. I think even if Keller had stepped for the offside trap, I don't know that he would have gotten it, and then he would have been in an even worse in position. Real trouble. But yeah. Keller did keep Klaus onside on that first ball. So um, you may say could say like he messed up twice there. I I think it's a little harsh. I don't I don't want to put that part on him because I think had he stepped, he might not have gotten done it. But maybe he should have recognized a little earlier. That's tough. That that's always a dangerous game to play, right? It's like the whole offside trap thing and. He got caught out right there. And so that one, I'm not going to peg him so hard, but I do think he was a little over, over ambitious, which it's a thing we've said about him, right? I like, was going to say, that's exactly this, like the, the, the risk. That's, that's why you want Julio Cascante to be healthy and play the whole game and hopefully come back soon because that's the kind of stuff that Kip Keller has shown that he will do uh, so far in his career. Yeah, so we have not gotten any word on Julio Cascante. I think there's going to be some media availability sometime during this week. Hopefully we'll have some news by then, if not earlier. It didn't look great. Like the fact that he knew he had to come out right then in the moment, Josh Wolf seemed pretty concerned in the press conference afterwards. They're doing some imaging. It seemed to be, I don't want to uh, speculate too much about injuries, but it looked like they were examining inside of his upper thigh. Um, that could be something simple. It could be something really serious. We just don't know. Uh, if, Julio Cascante is out for a while. Like that. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people saying that Kip Keller should be sent away to the second team. There's other people saying, no, we got to build this guy up. We need to build his confidence up. We need to support him. I think if nothing else out of necessity, like you're going to need Kip Keller in the coming weeks. There's five games in 20 days starting this Saturday. We've, we've got the game against Montreal. Then on the following Tuesday, the Violette CONCACAF Champions League match. And they go straight to Salt Lake playing at elevation. They come home, play Tuesday, CCL again, and then play another game that following Saturday. And so there's a lot of games. They're going to need the legs. We can't afford to not have Kip Keller available. He's, he's going to play in some of these games. And so whether or not you think like the fans should be yelling at him and booing him, like that's going to, build character or whatever. By the way, I completely disagree with that. I think he's probably learned less than enough by the way he ran straight off the field into the locker room at the final whistle. Um, I don't think he needs us to help him feel bad about himself. I think he's got that covered. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I guess Armo Tark was not on the, the roster uh, Saturday because Josh said he was still learning the system a little bit. Uh, but so says, says he's physically ready physically and available fit, yeah. though. So hopefully he, hopefully he studies real good this week. Yeah, I mean, he needs to. I like if for nothing else, like he's gonna have to play in one of these games, or if somebody gets tired, goes down, gets cramped, gets injured, he's gonna have to go into the game because I, even if Cascante is not out long term, I would be surprised if he plays this weekend. And so, if Kip Keller is going to suit up for this match, may even start against again in this match, it wouldn't surprise me if if to to show his trust in him, if Josh Wolf gives him the start again. And says like, no, 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 we, we, you messed up. 
learn from it, do better this time, but we still believe in you. Like that would not surprise me at all. What's okay. So I, I want to talk about the other s- surprising s- starts, but we, we did not talk about this uh, Sebastian Drusi goal really at any link. Oh yeah. And oh my Leo Vicedin's <laughs> pass on the Sebastian Drusi goal. So maybe let's cover that too. Yeah. So this also, this also highlights a, a tactical thing that I really liked that I saw the other day. And it was kind of this, this pattern where if a ball got played from one center back to the other, they were always looking up and, and watching for that cross field, like long cross field ball. All of the, the back line did it a couple of times. Vison is the one who did it really well a couple of times. And there's a few times where he sprung Rigoni in deep, one time Rigoni got onto the end of it, but he didn't have any support back. And so it didn't amount to anything. A couple of times, maybe it was a little too long, but it it forced that back line. It was something they had to reckon with. And they had to they knew that like, okay, these guys are gonna stretch us and we need to be ready for that, which ideally opens up some space in the middle, keeps them a little honest back there. I really liked that. And I, I like that Vicenin can do it really quickly, really accurately, play a really good ball. And it led to that Drusi goal right at half where um, we play the ball back, their line steps. And as that line is stepping, I also noticed that Jossi Zardes was dropping in deep. And I believe he he gets a touch on that play. He drops in the midfield, plays it back. And as the, the center backs are following him, Drusi and Rigoni are both making runs on that backside. Vicenin sees it, drops it in. Drusi takes a really nice touch to put it into space and Berkey, the keeper, is already off his line. And so he just stays off, hoping that he can make himself big and block the shot. Drucy sees that he doesn't have a clear shot and does that little left-footed chip that so beautiful. It went so high that I was like, I was like, it's either going way over or Berkey's gonna have time to run back and and stop it. And neither of those were true. It was perfectly weighted, perfectly placed. Berkey knew he was beat, didn't even try to go get didn't it. Didn't even try. I know I noticed that like every time I watched it. That was crazy. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask about was do you think we see a change at left back or defensive midfield this week? Yeah, I mean, I think at left back, I liked the way Gallagher looked in that position better. Um, I think the the whole idea is if you push Kolmanich up that high, he can be more of an attacking player. Because uh, his weakness has been his defense. He's been beaten for speed at times. He gets tired at times and, and isn't able to finish a game. Um, and so by making him essentially a winger, you're not really asking him to do that in tr- defensive transition as much. And then whenever we are set back, he is back in space. And he's he's an okay 1v1 defender in those in those spaces. But I think that falls apart when he's going forward and he's not really fitting into the system all that well. I think one of the biggest things is he's so one footed that there's moments where things would present themselves and he would go out of his way to get the ball back onto his left foot to take a worse angle or make a worse pass and it would get blocked or it wouldn't be a good angle for it. Or the play would have passed by. There's one where he gets onto the end line and he chops, he like gets to the inline and chops the guy inside and has it on his right foot with guys crashing the box. And then he takes another chop. And by then the momentum of the play is over. And I think he gets the ball away, but it's, it's, it just doesn't do anything by that point. And so there were several moments where that really hurt him. Gallagher, I think where he lacks that refinement, like 
nobody plays that cross like Kolmanich does. But there's another 85, 90% of the game where you're doing right. other stuff. And I think Cole, I think Gallagher does all that other stuff better than Kolmanich does. And so I would like to see Gallagher get get more time in that spot. Yeah, I mean Gallagher's goal is a really pretty goal. I mean, you know, he he did he it's good footwork on the ball. You know, I think he beat he beats a guy or two. Um he's, he, he's like combining strong. with Diego up that left side too, which is yep. what you want to happen from that position. If, if you're going to ask them to be a winger and Diego to be a 10, you want them playing off of each other. And Gallagher comes in and does it immediately where I think Kolmanich had some bright spots, but he also had some really weak spots as well. And then do you think we see Owen Wolf again this week as a starter? That's another thing, man. Like I don't, Owen was really aggressive in duels. Uh, he, he bloodies Indiana Vasilev's nose and I think gives him a concussion on an aerial duel early on. He has to be subbed out. He smashes a few other dudes throughout the game. So he covers ground really well. Ring, I think Ring was pretty good when he came on as well. The game was pretty different by the time he got on the field too, though. So I think Ring is positionally really good, really smart, understands the system, understands where to be, when to be there really well. But I think he lacks a little bit of refinement in his game at times, which kind of lets him down. Wolf is still green and shows that in experience, but he has this like this dynamism in the midfield where he'd like receive the ball between lines and turn and drive at the defenders and like maybe doesn't pick out the most dangerous passes, but is able to kind of distribute it to the other guys who can. And so I, I don't think there's one right answer. I'm not convinced one is necessarily better than the other. I think they bring different things and it's going to be a decision for Wolf to make. But yeah, I, I'm I'm not convinced that one is absolutely better than the other at this moment. Were there any other players you want to cover or you want to go to our preview for the Montreal match now? I, I do want to talk about Alex Ring a little bit longer if okay. we can, if we have time. Yeah. Um, it's your show, Landon. <laughs> Take all the time you want. Yeah, there's been speculation about like why this is happening. How did the captain, the guy who plays every game, go from that to being no longer the captain, not even a starter. And I've Matt Doyle mentions this on this week's extra time that he had heard that there's some like non-soccer things, some off-field things going on that kind of led to all of this. Uh, heard that exact thing from someone that is definitely in the know that there's like some other stuff going on. I, I don't know any specifics. They did not tell me specifics, but this seems to not be entirely a soccer thing. And so maybe Alex Ring does like whatever's going on, like it gets resolved. He gets it sorted out. He's in a, a better headspace or whatever it is, starts training better and steps in and starts looking good again. But um, yeah, I, I really don't know, but I thought he looked okay the other day. Um, Josh Wolf also, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think that's for the team. That's the best possible outcome is that he gets through that. Still, like you said, almost still super green guys, making a ton of money guys, a ton of skins on the wall, you know, um, Hopefully, whatever's whatever's going on can be resolved. Yeah, uh, Josh Wolf also mentioned him when talking about um, center back options. And so, if some guys aren't ready to go, if if Kip Keller has completely lost Josh Wolf's trust, um, Alex Ring could be an option to maybe play that middle center back in that back three. And kind of, it would be interesting to see how we play the ball from the back with him there. I don't know how it's going to go defensively, just because. Not to say he's not. I think he has the tools to be good there. He just doesn't play there. And so like positionally, like those instincts just aren't going to be there the same as they would be in the midfield. 
Um, so that would make me a little bit nervous, but playing out of the back, I think Alex Ring would do a good job from doing that from, from that like middle center back in a back three. There is one other thing I want to mention about how St. Louis played against us. And this is a thing that Austin can learn from. So they did not, I, I was talking about last week, how they were going to play this like Red Bull style and maybe press us. And we were going to make some mistakes in the back. That's not how it happened. They, they did put pressure on us, but it was kind of how the actual Red Bulls played against us last year, where they were like targeting certain spots and they weren't just, just lumping it long and trying to win, win balls back in, in duels. A lot of what was really dangerous was when Berkey, the keeper had the ball at the back, he would play a long accurate ball onto the chest of Klaus, that really big uh, striker. He would either bring it down and lay it off. Or even when Austin challenged him well, and the ball was still loose, St. Louis did a really good job of winning those second balls. And so this is a thing that Austin needs to learn from is if that's going to happen, like a guy like Klaus, you're not stopping him from doing that. Like he's going to win those, even with, I think Cascante could have done a little better than Keller did in those moments, but Klaus still would have won a lot of those balls. Uh, Austin needs to get better at winning those second balls because they did not win many of them throughout the night. Um, and yeah, guys like, Jared Stroud and and Lowen and all those midfielders playing for St. Louis ate it up and just doing little one twos off of those off of those passes and they were off to the races. And so like you see a guy like Jared Stroud who did not fit in an Austin system who fits really well in this system. I thought I was making fun of him under my breath throughout the night for doing very Jared Stroudy things, but upon the rewatch, I think Jared Stroud actually had a really good game and fits this style really really well. And he's now the enemy of all of Austin. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> all right, let's uh let's talk to Jamie Watson and preview the Montreal match. Yeah, so Jamie and Dre Cordero are going to be on the call this weekend. It'll be the next batch of announcers coming to Q2 Stadium. I'm a little bit I haven't been able to actually watch that much of the Apple content yet, and so I'm kind of looking forward to our first road game where I get to sit at home and kind of watch it Check all. it all out. But yeah. uh but yeah, Jamie Watson is part of that. He's going to help us preview the Montreal game and talk a little bit about the history of Austin soccer along the way. We'll be right back. All right, we are pleased to be joined by Jamie Watson. Jamie, you are the former color commentator for Nashville SC, and now you are part of the Apple TV MLS crew. So uh, how is, how's that going so far? And how was your first game uh, calling for this new Apple deal? Still doesn't, I don't know if it's sunk in yet. You know what I mean? The way you just said that was really cool because I've been really fortunate when I stopped playing. I, it was a dream job to cover Minnesota United the first three years after I was done playing. And then getting to go to Nashville as they started in major league soccer, that was the dream job. And then as the landscape sort of changed and you say Apple and major league soccer, it's still, it's still a pinch me moment. Uh, and uh, we got through game one um, and it was incredible. It was way more than I ever would have expected. And my partner, Drake Cordero eloquently put it after the game, it was day one of 3,650 um, so it's, it's amazing that that's behind us and we have a really, really high threshold that started the first broadcast off. So now we just got to keep topping it and try to do better and better each week. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about that partnership. Do y'all know each other before or y'all 
Like, what's the? Have you t- did you have time to practice together, or are y'all kind of learning on the fly as you go? It was really interesting because you know, obviously, as this process happened, we were seeing the names that would come out, and then your name would come out, and then there was the third wave, and so you were interested to see who you're going to get partnered with. And then um, I knew Dre from just whenever Nashville would play into Miami. Uh, the broadcasters would kind of call each other and say, "Hey, look, like." We know this team really well, uh, but we maybe don't know the other team very well. Can we just put our heads together? And I think the first time Jerry and I talked, it took us about 30 minutes before we actually got to the soccer X's and O's because <laughs> we were just catching up and talking and, you know, kind of like, uh, well, guys, kind of like we were before we we went we went recording with this thing. You know, you just start talking and you hit it off and a and, um, couple couple good guys here on the pod. And then he's a great dude. So I just start, started chatting with him. And then it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we got to go because you know, if we, we've got to get going to the stadium here. So it was, uh, you know, it was really good to chat with him. And and I lucked out. I mean, he's incredible. He, he does Champions League games. He does Serie A games. He did the national team before um, switched networks and uh, the rights changed to the U.S. men's national team. So I certainly lucked out getting Dre. And I'll get to work with some other really good commentators along the way, uh, I'm sure, as his schedule's busy and I'll fill in with some other crews. So, um, man, it's, it's awesome. But what an all-star lineup of broadcasters. We have Apple TV. And Major League Soccer with this MLS season pass outdid themselves with the people they were able to get to sign and be a part of this project. And I'm very lucky to be part of it. So there's an Austin connection with you. You played for the Austin Aztecs for a little bit. Tell us about that. Man, House Park. I uh, I was there. <laughs> I actually played in 2008 for a little bit um, when they were still a PDL team. I was, uh, I was transitioning from playing uh, with Real Salt Lake. And I need to get some games, get some fitness. I was training with FC Dallas, and then I would drive down. I would train with Austin close to the weekend, and I would play. And Wolfgang Sunholtz, um, God rest his soul, wonderful human being, a, a godfather of soccer in Austin. You know, he was incredible. Um, he brought me down there. Adrian Heath was a part of the project at the time and played there in 2009 and 10. Absolutely loved my time there. I, I claim Austin. I was a little bit north up by Lakeline Mall and Cedar Park. But I was there before Austin blew up like what it has over the course of the last you know 10 12 years since i've been there biggest regret was not buying even just the smallest house or piece of land by the domain (laughs) because it was right by when the domain first started to be a thing is when i was sort of leaving and um we played at house park we used to get some great fans chantico's army i haven't said that name in a while Uh, everly's (laughs) army they were the they were the fan base that was there i met a lot of wonderful people because back then there was a, a really good intertwining of the players and fans and um, there still is but especially then they would literally come down on the field after the game so whether you wanted to talk to them or not they were right there <laughs> and it was great and uh had a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of good times off the field austin's a wonderful place i enjoyed my time there and um i can't wait to go back this weekend and just wander around like i did last year when i was there and uh, i was so sad when we left truth be told i didn't want to leave fate had its you know, part in it. And I actually ended up going to Orlando and meeting my wife only a couple months later after we got there. So I think the big man upstairs knew what he was doing when he said, Hey, you need to go with this Austin team to Orlando. And um, I was sad when it left for the people of Austin, the fans of Austin, but they got their team that they so fully deserved. And it's a hundred times better than we could have ever dreamed back then in 2010. And when I was there and um, look at it today, it's, it's, one of the gold standards for fan bases and stadiums and in stadium experiences now in major league soccer and Q2. 
Yeah, I think I think you'll notice that Q2 is a little bit different than House Park. Uh, House Park is Slightly still there, bigger, right? <laughs> House Park is still there, still kicking. They still have uh, I after think that flood, after the flood a while back, <laughs> where like had it like leg- legitimately six feet underwater. So yeah, I'm I'm happy. We got a chance to come to Q2 last year when Nashville played against Austin in that one-one draw. I think um, that was a that was a special night because that was right in the thick of. Hani versus uh, Hani Mukhtar versus Sebastian Driussi MVP votes were going back and forth when they played. So that was a, that was a really um, fun time of season. And I think it was one, one draw on the night, but the fans, Oh, what an atmosphere. I cannot wait for that on Saturday night to see that again in person. Yeah. So that is, I wish we could talk to you about Austin for a little bit longer, but that is the reason why we're talking to you is because you're going to be on the, on the broadcast with Drake Cordero. Uh, on this this match between Austin and Montreal. So Austin, uh, Montreal finished the year really strong last year, third in the East. Um, they still have some experience throughout the team, especially towards the back of the team, but they lost a lot of attacking talent in this team. Who Who's going to fill those gaps for them? Who are the guys who need to step up in the attack to be able to, to maintain their level? Yeah, um, this Montreal team is going through transition, right? You lose... Um... Wilfred Nance, he goes to Columbus. Um, you look at Georgi Mihailovic leaving. Um, Mason Toy hasn't been able to stay healthy for them. Uh, when he does, he's been very influential for them. Uh, they've had Romel Kyoto have stretches where he can be stellar on the night. Um, he's got an exceptional verticality to, verticality to his game that can stretch the field. And then he uh, more often than not makes the right shot selection when he gets there. Um but I think this Montreal team, uh, after watching their matchup uh, today um, from this past weekend, went on Apple TV, navigated across that MLS season pass, got distracted along the way watching some of the other drone videos, <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 focus. You gotta, you gotta go to where you want to go. It's easy to get lost in the, in the, in the magic that's on MLS season pass. Uh, and so I started watching the game. I. Walked away from that 90 minutes. It was a 2-0 loss uh, to Inter Miami. Thinking that this still this team is still trying to figure out who they are. And obviously that's not a, a hot take or anything brilliant because it's 90 minutes under a new coach. But I think with Hernan Lasada, I think the way in which it ended, if if I put myself back into being a player and I watched what happened with his time at DC United... And I was in a different locker room. Maybe I know a player, maybe I don't. I'm kind of on the outside looking in. You kind of read the same things. You hear the same things. You hear a lot of the things that were said about the DC United locker room after he left and sort of his management style. Um, When he gets named the coach and he comes into your locker room as a CF Montreal player, I think it still is a transitional period where it's a different manager profile with the way that it ended than a coach that comes in who's had an immense success take example bob bradley when he goes from lafc to tfc it's bob bradley former national coach coached around the world one of the most successful soccer managers of all time he's he's won your respect he's already he has the equity and the stock built up that you go if he says this i probably need to listen because this guy knows what he's talking about and he's proven it now, with Hernan Lasada, there may be some tentative learning curve to it still with the players where they're still taking on board what he's saying, 
but maybe the adaptation period is slightly slower because there is a warming up period to it. And, you know, this is all, this is me. I'm outside looking in, right? I'm not, I'm not there inside the locker room, but I just saw a team that is, is trying to do a little something different in a similar formation, um, but putting the new coaches twist on it. So I think that takes time. I think it'd be ridiculous to make a decision on if it's going to work or not based on 90 minutes, much like if you based what the 90 minutes from Austin versus St. Louis look like, that would be a ridiculous take for both teams, St. Louis and Austin. I think CF Montreal is in a period in which they're going to find some adversity from this weekend. And then you're going to find the response to it this weekend at Q2 stadium. And it'll be interesting to see because we'll see where the players are, and how they are adapting to the new manager. And I think the one thing that will show that the easiest thing that you can point is the amount of effort and energy and enthusiasm CF Montreal starts the match on Saturday night with, do they come out and look like they want to prove a point? If the manager has really lit a spark, if losing and losing pretty handily had an impact on them. And if the coach has been able to, to get them to where they need to be, properly to get to go against a very good Austin team at Q2 stadium. So we're going to see, and you'll be able to tell in the first 15, 20 minutes if they're up for it. And that response will tell me how that adaptation period is going with Hernan Lozada and CF Montreal. So like as a player, what would you be looking for? Like what, what kind of things can a guy like Lozada do that doesn't have the track record to maybe jumpstart that a little bit? Like how, how does he show that he's learned or that what happened in the past was a little bit of a fluke? You know, I think, and by the way, I want to be very clear that I don't necessarily, um, I don't think that everything he did um, at DC was wrong. I don't think that he had the roster that could have necessarily really truly competed. And I think in hindsight, you can look at it and say, there's still a ways to go. And they're in the process of trying to get where they want to be and where they once were in the glory days, right? Um, I think I would want what would if I was a player in that locker room, what I would want from the new coach, I'd want him to find a way to connect with me individually, right? He's going to give his instructions to the team. But for me as a player, I always appreciated and connected and was willing to go the extra mile for a coach if I felt there was some connection. Some players need to have their arm, you know, by the coach put around him and say, hey, come here, let's talk. Like, you know, I, I want to give you, you know, compliment, 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 constructive criticism, compliment, compliment, because they can't really handle it. Some of them he needs to come over and figure out and he needs to go, I need to know who you are. You need to show me. They need a challenge, right? So we'll see how each player responds individually with um, with their bounce back performance from last weekend's loss. And I think by how much enthusiasm and running around and willingness to get into a tackle, willingness to chase down a loose ball, to pressure a defender, if they do that, That'll be a very encouraging sign, and that'll make me start to think, okay, he's he's got these players, right? It was bad performance. Every team can can have one of those and, and will have multiple of those throughout the season. But you can tell by the player's body language and their just overall effervescence when they step on the field if they want to make it right, and chances are if they want to do make it right for themselves but also for the manager. You talk about that man management. From everything we've heard of Losada's kind of track record before DC and then his time during and after DC, he seems to be a bright tactical mind. That's kind of what got his name on the map is kind of being 
this really bright person when it comes to the soccer side of things, but it seems like all the problems were on the man management side. And so I think you make a great point that like, that's the part that like, has he learned his lesson? Will he be able to turn that around and, and do a little bit better of a job this time? So um, talking about the tactics, it seems last year, Montreal played pretty, like pretty attractive soccer, being able to control the ball through the midfield. Losada, if I'm not mistaken, likes to play a bit more of a direct style. And watching that game the other night against Miami, they seemed pretty disjointed trying to transition from that old style into the new style. What can Austin take advantage of or what, what can Austin do to be successful in this game against Montreal? Um, yeah. And I think at, at, to the first point about Losada, you know, he's still only 40 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, he, as a manager, he's still evolving and learning. So I'm excited to see it because I, my respect for him will go tenfold if I see him tweak the things and, and learn from the mistakes, right? Don't people make mistakes all the time. I make hundreds of them a day, but I think the people around me in my life, um, and the people who, you know, are looking at me look at the response to it. And if it's a good response and look like, Hey, you, you learned and you've adapted and you've grown from it. You respect shoots, you know, through the roof. That's yeah. how um, I'm hoping it's going to go for, for Hernan Lasada and for CF Montreal. They are going to do things a little bit differently. Um, man, I remember watching CF Montreal play last year against Nashville and it was so disciplined from Wilford Nance's team. As soon as they lost the ball, they were back into position. It was incredibly difficult to break down and if you were turning on a, a game for the first time watching Montreal last season, you were like, man, this is, this is like, it was like a pitcher's duel almost of like two teams in that Nashville Montreal game that were just so sound structurally defensively and didn't make a lot of mistakes. Right. Um, I think this, this team that we're seeing now with CF Montreal will take some chances and want to play a little bit higher up the field and, and don't mind turning teams around. And when they are able to get Mason toy up there next to Kyoto, I mean, why wouldn't you turn around and, and have them go uh, play in behind and stretch yeah. the field? Because then you get more room to operate uh, underneath. And 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 when you do that, um, the, uh, Saliba, I think, underneath, he's the 19-year-old um, trying to fill the big shoes of Georgie Mihailovic leaving. He'll have a little bit more room to to operate. And then, you know, you get Brogiar, who is a flyer on the right wing back role. Uh, Lapalainen, uh, an attack-minded player, I think that's playing probably a little bit deeper than he would prefer. But that means he's got the attacking instinct in there as well. And then the the ground that Piet and Wanyama cover in behind Saliba is uh, is miles and miles per game. So now if the field's stretched, there's bigger gaps. Now if you're playing 20 yards higher up the field, when you win a ball back, you can play an immediate entry pass into a final third and you're right into it. You create a scoring opportunity or scoring chance. So that may be a little bit different because it may not be as methodical as what we're used to doing as far as uh, pass, 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 break a team down so far while there's this transition. Lasada will put his touch on. I'm sure he would prefer that his team is able to do that and does that at periods of time. But if they do play, excuse me, a little bit more vertical and long, then there's, it can unbalance some teams at a time. And, and maybe that is part of the mindset of Hernan Lasada and what he wants to, how he wants his team to play in the mark. He wants his team to put on the game. Yeah. I think St. Louis proves that playing, playing direct in a, in a targeted and disciplined way, it can really disrupt what Austin tries to do. I yeah. think with what Austin um, 
has shown in one game the the look that they gave as far as attacking shape was pretty different. And then with what guys like Rigoni and Vison were able to to show, I think there is some space to be kind of taken advantage of in those wide areas. Um, Vicenin plays a really good, accurate long ball, and Rigoni was making some nice runs in behind, stretching that back line. They didn't all connect, but he made he made that back line stay honest and have to respect that that run. And then the, that goal that Drusi scored was that same that same pattern with Drusi and Rigoni both making similar runs, and it found Drusi. It, it could have found either of them really, but Drusi ends up with a good finish. So I think that's something that that Austin can look uh, look for against this uh, this Montreal team. Another thing I noticed watching them against Miami is um, in this new shape that Austin's kind of doing, you have Drusi and Fagundes playing as kind of like dual tins underneath that space. And I noticed that Wanyama and Piet, as they pressed up, were leaving a pretty big gap between themselves and the center back. So I think Austin needs to look to kind of take advantage of that space that they're leaving in front of the center backs and get the ball to Drusi and Fagundes more because they did not do it enough against St. Louis the other night. Yeah, uh, that's a very good breakdown of it. Um, really accurate. I'm going to steal all of that. What you said, <laughs> you're, okay, you're welcome to verbatim. <laughs> you know, it'll be just between between us here. Um, no, I, I, I think that's that's really smart. And the last thing any team wants to do is leave more room to operate for Driussi. But if Rigoni is running in behind, same thing that we just talked about CF Montreal when he do with Kyoto and and you know with Mason Toy when he's back, um, Ibrahim to an extent can do it as well too. But um, all that does is just create bigger pockets of space for those really skillful players to go and find and pick their moments. If if it, if a back four is pressing higher, then you get in behind or a back three in this case from for Montreal. So um, it's just an added element. I think you need to have it. And Bison being able to play that long pass really does stretch things out. And uh, we talk about you know Lasada and his um, uh, sort of his ability to bounce back, right? I'm very interested to see because Cascante went off within the first 10 minutes of the match. If Kip Keller gets a chance to start, how's he going to respond? Um, look, if Kip Keller would have come into the game and he would have scored three goals, would we have said that he was the greatest soccer player alive? <laughs> Probably not. So if he comes in and and he's at fault, you know, marking marking Tim Parker on the first one, obviously the, the bad back pass and then getting chopped for the third goal. If he would have had a hand negatively in three goals, are we going to say he's the worst soccer player in the world? No, let's keep some perspective. Let's see what the response is. And we're going to find out about a player who's played seven professional games, how he responds to adversity. This could be something that's very, very good for him. And this loss, this 3-2 loss to St. Louis, could be very, very good for this Austin team because sometimes you need to take a rude awakening or a punch in the, you know, in the chin to be reminded that that can hurt and it can happen if you're not sharp at all moments and concentration is at, you know, the highest it can be at every moment of every game. And um, these things are going to happen at the end of the day. It's just the same if they would have lost 1-0 and, um, you know, it, it's just the manner in which they they lost to a team that they were highly favored to win at home. And, you know, it, it's one game. Let's let's see what the trend is and, and how they respond to it both as a team and, you know, Kip Keller, how he responds to it individually. But keep in mind, Austin were down. They came back and tied it. They were down. They came back and tied it. 
down 3-2. Triussi gets a crossbar right before the 90th minute, doesn't he? This game could have been very easily 1-1, where you've come back three times, so the team didn't quit. They showed it last year. Virtually every time they were down, you always knew they were going to come back, so they've got some character established to this group with a lot of returning players. So I'm very excited about this match because both teams need a good response from last week. So that should just take this game and amplify it even more. And there should be more energy, more running, more crunching tackles, more finishing, more goals, everything that you could want for a game. So I'm very, very excited to be in Austin this Saturday night with Dre for, on the call for this one. See, and that will be even because I'm going to play this back for all my Austin friends who convinced the season's over after one match and like we need to burn the whole team down. So it's this is a symbiotic relationship. I love this. You are absolutely spot on. You and your and your silky smooth buttery microphone talking (laughs) into there. You say it louder for anybody that's doubting right now because this team is a very very good team, well coached, and they are going to be just fine. It's one loss. Sky's not falling. All right. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can catch Jamie and Dre Cordero on the call for, uh, for Austin FC versus CF Montreal. That's going to be on Apple TV, the MLS season pass. Um, I think, Jeremiah, do you remember if this game is free or do you have to have the season pass? I believe this one is also free. Okay. Yeah. I think first, There's a lot first, of free games. There's yeah. a lot of free games. If anybody's on the fence, just turn it on. There's a lot of free ones. And uh, that MLS 360 show is something special too. So make sure you check that out as well. Yeah, well, Jamie, thanks for joining us. Uh, Long live House Park. Yeah, long live House Park, (laughs) hey guys. Thank you very much for having me. Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. Thank Thank you. you. All right, we want to thank Jamie one more time. You can catch him, as we said, on the call with Drake Cordero on Apple TV for Austin's match against Montreal this Saturday. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, come find us on Twitter at lviahero87 and at jbentley underscore atx, and then at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and then Moon Tower Soccer on YouTube, where uh, we're going to continue to post our interview videos. And then sign up for the Patreon. We're going to be having our our uh, Patreon drive, as it were, here pretty soon. We're trying to finalize our our rewards for this year. We'll, we'll have some news about that here pretty soon. And then visit the Striker website where you can get a 30% discount with the code MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. We should maybe get that changed to MOONTOWER23 or something else. I think else, it's time. I think it's time. <laughs> for the time being, it's still MOONTOWER22. Uh, Jeremiah, what can they look out for there today? Well, it's something that we just t- touched on or touched on earlier when we were talking about the center backs, and that is uh, Phil West has an article with some center back options. What should Austin FC do about its sudden center back crisis? So he kind of goes through the in-house options and maybe some other places that Austin could look to find another find help there. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening to the show. We'll be back next week with the Montreal review and then previews of the rail salt Lake. And then I guess, Jeremiah, are we going to do a show on Monday still with the game on Tuesday? This is a thing we're, haven't talked about. We'll hash it out on air right now. Real time. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, let us know if you would rather us still put out a preview show on Tuesday, or if you'd rather us wait and release it after the game. Actually, we're probably not going to do that. Never mind. We'll probably still have our regular show on Tuesday, but who knows? We'll see. Stay tuned. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.
Thank for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my god.